0: Sucker. Written and narrated by Mark Lingane. Copyright 2014. Episode 3. Mina left the candy on the desk. My standard rate of a century a week. I asked. Where did you meet? She leaned over and whispered in my ear. The vinyl. You got a picture? She fished through her small purse and handed over a photograph folded in half. The waxy paper had aged to a shade of yellow. It was him singing at the front of some band. He got a name. It's on the back, Mina replied. I turned it over. You're kidding, right? I flicked the photo through my fingers as I looked back up at her. Take it how you want. It's easy to remember, if not accurate. I need one of you, I said. Would you like it with my clothes on or off? I pulled out my battered old and took a happy snap of her. She didn't pose too much, just enough to be a sticker on the front of a warplane. She couldn't help blowing a kiss. Then she was gone, leaving only the scent of a domineering pinnacle and the smudged lipstick on the glass. The sentry would keep the rent monster off my back for a month, and possibly some food in my mouth. There was an odd expression on Mina's face when she left. Somewhere between shock, surprise, disappointment. It will be interesting finding out why. I took the film down to the local drugstore where they offered a quick and dirty processing for a fistful of decimals. I heard some late night birds flapping around, it reminded me of the sound of the previous night and I kept close to the buildings. The morning made its usual commotion through the window, the sun glared like the inordinate thermonuclear explosion it was, too early, too bright. The stretcher was as close to a bed of nails, comfort wise, but it was home. The spot between my shoulder blades itched, at the point you can't reach unless you got a short humorous or two, but then you can't be a lore man. The city has its secrets. Most of the time the city was proud and loud about them. You could know the city without knowing the terrace, and you could know a lot about the terrace without knowing about Vino. It's a place I'd heard about in uncertain whispers, but I'd never crossed the threshold, and it represented a dark hole in my understanding of the city. The place was a big old warehouse made of stone and steel, three stories high and windowless. The street varied between the razzmatazz of the secrets window dancers with quality found on the top of the menu, down to the decimal hookers, hugging windbreaks in concrete alcoves. The street was brutal and blatant, with its architecture reflecting the various levels of available service. But at least they advertised, the vinyl was different. It presented a blank exterior to the street. No signs, no doors, no letterbox, no thank you. Its aggressive pre-industrial architecture repulsed all who strayed by. The occasional group of individuals milled around the corner wearing strange black shiny clothing. Most pedestrians crossed over to avoid the place, as though it could suddenly come to life and devour them like some Stone Age monster. Pot tiger, Part religious monolith, and part act of war. There was a large gate on the side, barring the entrance to a small alleyway, running down to the side of the building. I rattled the cage and hollered for attention. There was no response. I looked at the lock. It was old, older than a teenage embarrassment. I'd seen one before in the war. The recollection poked around in the back of my dusty old memory box. It wasn't coming. I'd seen it far away, holding something pretty horrible back. I shrugged. I couldn't remember what it was, but I remembered how to open it. I flipped through my handy utility pack and extracted the old Army Remington unlocker and rammed it into the rusty lock. I smiled as it clicked open. They were made for each other. The gate swung in, not so much as with a squeak, but a scream of terror. I should have been heard for a few hundred blocks. The alleyway was remarkably clean, swept with military precision. Either someone was an OCD or they were leaving no traces of illegal deeds. One thing that wasn't clean was the air. A familiar smell started to percolate, seemingly emanating from two black bins sealed with heavy tape. I ripped the tape free and flicked the lid on the first can. The smell of stale blood rose up and hostaged the air. I clasped my hand over my nose and mouth trying to circumvent the reflex action caused by the bucket of blood. It was a lot of blood. I ripped the tape off the second bin. Removing the lid revealed a set of eyes staring up at me. The severed head sat atop several blood-soaked sheets. I reached in and pulled it out, by the horn. Blood still dripped down, draining what remained into the bin. The two eyes were sad and baleful. I was guessing he didn't want his head cut off. The face was drawn, haggard and old. His brown fur was matted. Poor goat. There was a chance that they had killed it for a barbecue, but my senses were saying otherwise. I dropped the head back in, gave the goat a sorry pat and slammed the lid down on it. The alley cornered round the back of the building, opening up into a small cobbled area, making the place look centuries old. There was one metal door set into the expanse of bricks and steel. There was a tiny metal grate set into the door, but that too was shut tight. The lock on this was also from another time, so ancient even corrosion had given up. The old army picklock easily slid in. A minute of twitching and pushing had the thing open. The door swung open and revealed a dark, cavernous chamber. I stepped in and the door slammed closed behind me. The place was lit by a couple of dozen thick candles about a foot high set up evenly around the vast room. By the amount of wax on the floor it looked like they'd burned until near no more. Then new ones were swapped in. Always glowing, always burning, keeping the shadows away. A couple of utility tables surrounded by chairs were scattered around the large room, focusing inward. In the center of the floor sat a large red star, just like the one I'd found on my floor. This was surrounded by five candles that had burned down to nothing but a good time. I bent down and swiped a couple of digits across. It was dry. Not fresh blood, but it's color showed it was less than a day old. Probably drawn around last night. During the full moon. In the center of the star was a large, I would hesitate to use the word, altar. A great stone slab resting on heavy stone legs with a hollowed out depression half full of blood. The smell was bad. The walls were aligned with the kind of equipment people usually used on animals. But in the city, well, they generally used it on themselves. Which I prefer as I don't like to see innocent animals used inappropriately. Just in case you missed the large hints, the walls were decorated with images showing what you could do exactly with all the equipment. It was enough to make you give up on humanity. There were footsteps behind me. A shadow was coming up a set of stairs, a basement. Considering the noise I'd been making, a soundproof basement, that can't be good. The shadow evolved into a man wearing rubber wading pants and a jersey undershirt. He was a big guy, standing two inches or so taller than me, I'd guess. He was well muscled, he carried a bucket with a mop standing out of it, and a shovel. He had a shoulder-length black hair that swayed around his face, occasionally obscuring his green eyes. You could see his defined layers of muscles rolling around his stomach through the thin white material. They flexed as he moved. He was one who could tip any erring housewife into the cauldron of depravity and make her enjoy it. He dropped the bucket and shovel. I hoped I hadn't seen a hand fall out as the bucket tipped over. He clenched his fists, delighted me with a balletic display of pectoral dancing. How did you get in? He snarled. Door was open. I hitched my thumb over my shoulder. He looked at me suspiciously. Would that be the door I double-checked was locked before I came in? And past the gate that I also checked was locked? Is the proprietor in? He came strolling over to me, taking a snaked path until he was a few feet away. Now, nah. who are you? I said. The guy who'll take your head off if you ask too many questions. I held up a picture of Loverboy boy between my first two fingers. You seeing this guy? He stepped in close. He stank of sweat, blood and possibly an illegal amount of alcohol. There was barely enough space between us to squeeze in a pretzel. He took a long sniff over my shoulder. You don't smell like a cop. I'm worse. I placed the photograph in my pocket. The point between my shoulders began to etch. I shook my head. I'd swear to a preacher he was another two inches tall. He swung a hammer-like fist, neatly clipping me on the jaw. I went tumbling to the ground, taking out some tables and chairs on the way. I grabbed the chair leg, the chair came with it. I held it up and his fist came smashing through the seat. I twisted it and he turned and kicked his leg up high into the side of my head. I went sprawling across the floor, collecting blood, wax and assorted body fluids. He came running at me. I jumped up and grabbed the branding iron off the wall and swung it around into him. He raised his arm and deflected the blow. It should have snapped his arm clean in half, but the bar ended up bending. I gave it a quizzical look before throwing it aside. Must be cheap. I blinked my eyes in disbelief as the guy now appeared to be a foot taller than me. He reached out for me as I was backed into the corner, grabbing me, lifting me into the air, staggering over to the center of the room where he smashed me down into the altar. I landed heavily on the edge of the great stone slab and rolled off. My ribs burned. In the base of the bloody sink, I spotted a knife handle. I snatched it out of the mess. It was sharp. It had cut a goat's head off. I turned, but he was coming down like a wrath of the gods, both fists clenched together. He smashed them into my back and I collapsed to the floor. He casually bent over, grabbed me by my jacket. I slipped free of it and he took a couple of quick stabs at him. One cut through his jersey material, but it seemed to be nothing more than a mild irritation. He pulled out an 18-inch dagger from behind him. It. Its red blade flashed disturbingly in the light, almost as if it was alive. I glanced down at my pitiful blade. I rolled my eyes and threw it aside. He made a couple of lightning fast lunges at me with the last overreaching. I plowed in under his swing, tackling him around the waist, lifting him up and slamming him to the floor. I pressed my knee to his chest, wrenching the knife out of his stunned hand and pressed it to his throat. His eyes filled with a kind of terror I'd only seen in war. He seemed normal size again. Let's start again. He nodded profusely, staring insanely at the knife blade. Name? Levi, he replied. You seen her, Levi? I pulled out the photo of Mina and shoved it in his face. His eyes danced between the picture and the red blade. It felt warm in my hand. Yeah, yeah, she comes in all the time. Coming for years, she knows the owner. Him? I switched the photographs and held up Loverboy. He came in a couple of months back with someone, and the two of them hooked up. Sweat was pouring off the guy. I felt I was in imminent danger of going all wrinkly with his heat and moisture. Who? He stammered for a few moments before a name marched out on parade. Uh, uh, Sylvie. Why? When Mina gets bored of her boyfriend, she likes to find a distraction. Sylvie supplies the distraction. Where is he? I shouted. You find Sylby on Leviticus Street. I raised the knife up and drove it down narrowly, missing his neck and sinking the point two inches into the beer and urine-soaked floorboards. You've been warned. I staggered out and back onto the terrace. I clutched at my ribs, wincing with each step. I scanned around and found a concealed spot sitting across the road behind a stack of trash cans. I waited. Twenty minutes later, as the pain started to subside, Levi appeared, looking cautiously around. He replaced his waders with a set of ex army pants and thrown on a lumberjack shirt. He had his hair tied back and a large set of cheetahs and some failed attempt at a disguise. Let's see where he goes. He ended up being a tricky sucker to track. He moved like the wind, dancing around the pedestrians like they were maypoles. Did he head to Leviticus Street? No. I don't know what waited for me up there, but it wasn't gonna be Sylvie. He rounded onto Paradise Drive. I hated this part of town, nothing but players, dealers, and con art, soaking up the good land with good view and the clean air. Levi stopped in front of a shop looking brownstone. He tapped the buzzer three times, then twice, then another three. He waited, looking hurriedly around. The wind was picking up and blowing his hair around, giving him the appearance of an unwashed hound. All he needed was his tongue hanging out. I got some shelter behind a bus stop. The A38 came along. By the time it left in a cloud of dark fumes, Levi was gone. I ran over to the door. There was no sign of him up or down the street, There was a jamoke man selling some thick wake-up juice a couple of buildings down. Bouncing around his pinstripe three-piece, he tipped his fedora as I approached. He hadn't seen it. After a cup of joe giving no change for a handshake and a craig greasing his palm, he could remember better, and yeah, he went in. We talked and the minutes crawled by. He liked the game last week. It had been close. My mind began to melt from excessive banality. He began to preach the wonders of Java and the benefits of an alert mind. The front door opened and I slipped behind the jamoke man and watched Levi slouch away. Once he was around the corner, I punched the same pattern into the buzzer. The door swung open, revealing a long dark hallway and beckoned me in. The hallway ended in a wooden paneled anteroom, the floor was cut marble in the shape of a spiral. Looking at it for too long could send your head into the next dimension. There was a plain door to the right and a stairway covering up two flights to a large landing. Behind the plane door was a janitor's cupboard, mops and buckets, the staircase was made of wood. It and the landing looked so old it must have been imported from the old country and given a special coating of oldium. The first floor on the landing had an amusing label saying the beast lived there. Probably some rich frat kid who thinks he's funny. The door handle was dusty, the neighbor's one wasn't. It was gold plated. It turned easily under my grip. Sounds of activity came rolling out. It felt odd stepping out of the old wood onto the marble floor so shiny a reflection had its own life. The expansive room had warehouse windows looking out into the infinite plain of smog. Hardly seemed to have a point. In the center of the room sat a large bar made of oak with ivory and crystal chandeliers suspended above it. The room was dripping in candy. The finest and the most illegal of everything was here. Exotic rugs, ancient relics and weapons, missing collector's pieces, drinks, drugs, livestock equipment, Double doors to the left opened into a large bedroom draped in velvet. A bed that could take ten dominated the room. Straight ahead, culinary noises echoed behind a closed door. I pushed it open and stepped through. The kitchen reiterated the sentiment of excess of the previous rooms. Standing to his back to me was a slender man with long blonde hair. He was washing something in the kitchen sink. Honestly, you have the memory of a stray cat, your age is catching up with you, what did you forget this time? The voice verged on a manic frenzy, tickling the notes of insanity in an octave untouched by the normal. He turned, he was the most beautiful person I had seen, even looking straight at him it was difficult to tell if he was a he. His form seemed to constantly yet subtly morph like some top shelf illusion. The beating from Levi must have done something to my eyes. I blinked, hoping to shake the blurry image into focus. Oh, it's you. Sylvie said, drying either his or her hands on a dishcloth. You want a drink? I got your favorite. No thanks. Come out to the bar, it's more inviting. He or she walked past. I would be prepared to believe he was a she now. As she stepped forward, I could see the big-city heels designed more for horizontal movement rather than vertical. Yet she moved with a practiced grace and balance that defied fashion and physics. I followed her out and stood staring at her behind the great mahogany bar. Behind the bar, she flicked a tumbler down off a high shelf, letting it fall into her hand. She poured a long slug of whiskey rye into the large glass and placed it in front of me. Just how you like it. I could feel the saliva collecting in my mouth, willing me to take the drink. I took a deep breath and reached out for the glass. I was surprised to see my hand shaking. The ache in my mind grew as I tried to resist, but there was no point. The gleam in Sylvie's eyes sparkled as I picked it up. The pain relented as my hand wrapped round the glass. I opened my mouth and threw the drink over my shoulder. Sylvie's smile snapped into a frown. What a pretty one. The point between my shoulder blades started to itch. How about we blow? I got some fresh lines clean from the south. Sylvie inquired. Again, there was an itching in between my shoulder blades. I twisted my head with the annoyance. I ain't blowin'. You're no fun. It'll be wild. You remember the old days. What old days? I said. Doesn't everyone have old days when they were a little crazy and did stupid fun things? We leave them behind. Not everyone. I'm living proof of that. I have been disappointed in you. No drinks. No blow. What's left? Let me see. She came out from behind the bar and stepped in close, running her hand up my trouser leg, doing her own fly fishing between the pleats. You got any fantasy? Any special lady friend? A vision of Elle Mallory flickered in my mind. All buttoned up, but she slowly unclipped her uniform inch by inch and peeled away her shell. I could hardly say it was an unwelcome image, but the timing was bad. Or are there two? Oh, you naughty boy, she whispered. She had my full attention within her grasp. Such a dilemma, how can you choose? I had the vision of Mina wrapped around my consideration, sweeping me up in that determined drive of hers. I know, don't choose. Have both, she whispered. It drove chills down my neck. The vision of the two women sandwiching me, tangling in the red silken sheets in the bed in the next room, it tormented me. Oh, I can feel your frustration, but I can fix that, she drawled. I looked at Sylvie. Her image seemed to have drifted as I overlaid my desires onto her. Her appearance seemed to slide between Mina and Elle Mallory. The itch between my shoulder blades began to hammer into my conscience the itch started to crawl down my back Sylvie stared me towards her velvet boudoir I took a few steps and the images of Mina and Elle Mallory grew stronger the burning spread down my back in a thin line like I was trying to unzip my skin my feet continued on without much involvement from me until I put a stop to them enough the pain in my head nearly drove me to my knees. The images of Mina and Elle Mallory snapped away, replaced with the thin, brittle appearance of Sylvie. How dare you defy me? She swung her palm around, landing a fair on my face. It felt like a red-hot poker had struck me. I staggered to the side and collapsed to my knee. Knocking against the silver gas outlet in the wall, it dug it deep into my shoulder. The clamp and pain vanished from my head, replaced with the ringing pain of the slap. All in all, it was a minor improvement. Find me like that, she shouted. She pulled a red dagger out from behind her about 18 inches long. I've seen that before. Yeah, we got a club. You want to be a member, huh? Oh yeah, you can't. She swung the dagger, but I ducked out of the way. I reckon the excessive lifestyle may have dulled her reflexes. Her trailing hand caught me on the side of the head. I corrected my last thought. She kicked into my stomach, knocking the wind from me. She brought down the pommel of the dagger onto my back. It knocked me flat to the floor. I was up on all fours as she lowered the end of the dagger into my face. Sure you don't want a drink? I bowed my head. Stop asking. The clamping pressure pressed in on my head. It'll just be a little one, then we can have a roll in the sack for old time's sake. I sagged under the pressure. What I did next, I ain't proud of. I sat up and I said, Okay. Really? No. I summoned my resolve and I punched off as hard as I could. It caught her on the chin, totally by surprise. Her eyes went wide as she flew up into the air. Her arms went wide and the dagger clattered to the ground. As she landed, I scooped up the dagger and I had it at her throat before she could recover. Her eyes had the same terror as Levi's when I held his identical dagger to his throat. I fished out the picture of Loverboy and showed it to her. Tell me about him. I shoved the picture in her face. She shied away from it like it was a phobia. Her eyes danced between the picture and the blade. Yeah, yeah, he wanted to sing, be a star. We made a deal. I knew some people. I said I could introduce him. Mina. No, no, industry people, star makers. Get him out on the record, sounding good. Then, then tell everyone how great he was. These. She paused. Her eyes flicked around. People, they'll believe anything you tell them. You sure you don't want to drink? I can see you're a man who likes to drink. You can't live in tonight, come on, just have one. For old time's song, it won't hurt, it never hurts. Stop offering me drinks. I thrust forward the dagger. Each time she mentioned it, I could feel my head tightening, that mental clamp pressing in on it. All I had to do was say OK, and I knew it would go away. Then I knew something really bad would happen. Where is he? He's on Templeton Drive, 667. In the basin. You know the place. You remember? I stood back and gave Sylvie enough space to stand up. Remember what? Don't you know? How can you not know? Her voice was as dry and frustrated as a landlocked deckhand. At the edge of my hearing, I thought I could make out a steady hiss of air. If you're not gonna drink to have a drink, uh, I'll have one. And a smoke. She poured herself half a tumbler of scotch and knocked it back. Her hands shook as she placed the cigarette in between her lips and flicked open a silver lighter. She took a couple of deep pulls and blew the smoke into the air. She dropped her arm behind the bar and idly clipped the lid of the lighter back and forth. The swish and the click was eerie in the sudden calm. She took another puff then jerked out a large hammer and ran at me. I still had the dagger sticking out in front. The knife slid into her chest. She hummed for a moment as a tear rolled down her face. Her eyes closed as she fell backward. The light flamed as it fell to the floor. There was a flash of light and the entire floor erupted in a ball of flame. I was thrown backward as the flames rolled out over the top of me engulfing me in a furnace.